0: Let's take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 23 through 28 this morning. The third in our series of That's My Jesus, knowing the one we worship, and after we sang the song My Jesus, you know why we just had to introduce that song for this series. It, there, was just, there was absolutely no way around it. It was, it was, it had to be. This morning, we're looking at our one sacrifice. This passage in, in uh, Hebrews is talking about the, uh, Jesus as the sacrifice. Now, we looked at the first week, our one king. We looked at last week, our one priest. And our one priest, we saw, was our better priest. He was superior to the priests of old. He was the son of God, the, the second person in the Trinity, he was a sympathetic priest, a steadfast priest, and a selfless, selfless priest. And we briefly touched on each one of those. If I have ever done anything briefly in my preaching, uh, we briefly touched on each one of those. This week, though, we're going to drill down on his superiority. And we talked about a little bit his superiority as not just the priest presenting the sacrifice, but the actual sacrifice himself. We're going to see that today, as we study it a bit more in depth, because the writer of Hebrews did that just a few chapters later in his letter, or in his sermon, actually, we find that it was Jesus' superiority as the great high priest in part because he brought a superior sacrifice. Now, we, we talked about, like I said, all the other reasons why he was a, a great high priest, those up the, there in that first bullet point. But probably the, the majority of the reason, or certainly what gave us our salvation, was the sacrifice that he brought himself. And last week, I, I talked about taxes and us having to pay them, and, it, and, and, and wouldn't it be nice if we had uh, an unlimited bank account for our taxes, just one account that our taxes were uh, connected to, and every time we owed it, it just paid out of the account. We, we would know intuitively, all of us, that that bank account is better than our personal bank accounts because it covers all those bills covers all those debts we would understand that just because there's more money in it well how then is Jesus's sacrifice better how is he our one sacrifice how is he a superior sacrifice chapter 9 particularly the last paragraph of chapter 9, verses 23 through 28, will tell us how his sacrifice is better, how his account being connected to our sin debt is far, far superior to our own inability to overcome our sinfulness and to do anything to make up for it. Verses 23 through 28, read them with me. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. How is He a better sacrifice? How is He our one sacrifice? Uh, scripture here shows us at least Six ways that he is a better sacrifice, our one sacrifice. Verse 23 does it first for us and tells us that Jesus is a genuine sacrifice. Well, first of all, actually, Scripture says he is the better sacrifice, right? I mean, just comes out and says it, but why? I, I, we can say he is, but Scripture While we have to take things on faith very often, and Scripture says something and we believe it, we believe He's the better sacrifice, the writer here doesn't just leave it open. He goes on to explain how and why He is better. He is better because He is a genuine sacrifice. It was necessary, He says, for the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices. Those are the things on earth with the earthly sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. The writer here is letting us know that the, the tabernacle, the, the temple, the, the altar, the, the whole uh, separation of the tabernacle and temple into the holy place and the holy of holies and the outer courts and all that, that is all merely a man-made uh, representations of heaven. It was a way for us to look at the worship experience and go, yeah, okay, this is as good as we can do on earth to imitate, to emulate what is in heaven and what sort of worship goes on up there. They are substitutes for the real thing. As a matter of fact, the, the animals that were brought, lambs and goats and 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 uh, doves and 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 cattle and they, these sacrifices are all substitutes for the real thing. Substitutes for the real sacrifice. Now the blood of those animals purified the things on earth. the The temple and the 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 high priest would go into the holy of holies with the the uh, the blood from the sacrifice, and he would consecrate, uh, sprinkle the blood on the, the, the mercy seat there in the Holy of Holies, and that would be an act that purified those implements. But it wasn't the blood itself that did it. The blood was a result of the death of the animal involved. The blood represented death. That, that's why you couldn't just bleed an animal. They couldn't just go and cut, make a little nick, get some of the blood on the animal, let the animal go, all right, go back to what you're doing, and then goes... It, no, it, because the blood represented death, represented sacrifice. But it was a substitute for the sacrifice that would ultimately have to happen. That's why it had to be done regularly. You had sin offerings and other sacrifices, and you had the, the Day of Atonement every year where... Uh, uh, sacrifices were made. I I read somewhere in in my studying, and I'm going to get the number wrong, I'm pretty sure, but I think over the course of religious history for for Israel, they estimate something like five million animals were sacrificed because it had to be done over and over and over. It was the death that was necessary. But that death was just a substitute. Jesus, Scripture tells us, was the authentic sacrifice. It was the one sacrifice that these animals substituted, the one sacrifice that these animals were merely symbolic of. And as a matter of fact, His death, His sacrifice, His blood, symbolically, I have that in parentheses, purifies the real things in heaven. The, 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 the throne room in heaven needs no purification. The, 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 whatever accoutrements are there in the throne room with God, they don't need blood to make them holy. They are holy because God is there. But we, and this could be what this verse is pointing to, we do have to be made holy to enter into that courtroom, to enter into that throne room, the same way that the high priest had to go make a sacrifice for himself so that he was purified before he went into the Holy of Holies. The curtain has been torn for us. We have been invited in, but only if we are purified by the blood of Jesus. And we sing a lot about the blood, and we should. The the, the blood makes us clean. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. There is a fountain uh, filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. We, we talk about the blood regularly. And we sing about it, but it wasn't just his blood. It was his death. I've heard preachers say over and over through my years, and I imagine you have too, that it, only, it only takes one drop of blood for Jesus to save us. And while I guess in theory that's true based on the sinlessness The perfection of Jesus it wasn't just his blood he could have cut his finger smeared it on us and it wouldn't have saved us it was his death it was the full sacrifice it wasn't giving a little bit it was giving everything that saved us you go and you go to uh, a blood donation you give a pint if you're like me the older I've gotten the the less I can handle that um I don't know why, but I, I just don't, I'm not able to do it. Y'all remember a couple years back when I gave right before church one Sunday, and I had to have an ice pack on my head as I preached because I uh, wasn't feeling good. You, you go and you give a pint, and, and yes, there's a little bit of a sacrifice if you get sick, but you get little Debbie's, so it balances out. Um... And that's nice that you do that, and we should, and it's helpful, and it's wonderful, but ain't none of y'all running down to the hospital saying, hey, y'all, anybody, y'all have anybody here that needs a heart? I'm going to go ahead and give mine today. Because that is the full sacrifice, right? The blood is helpful, the blood's important, but it is the, when you give a life that you are truly sacrificing. All analogies break down. Right, But you you get the point. It, It isn't just the blood of Jesus. It can't happen without the blood because the blood symbolizes death. When we sing of the blood, we're singing of the sufficient sacrificial death exemplified by the shedding of blood. It is our metaphor for death. He shed his blood. We are washed in the blood. And for the next two verses, three verses, 24, 25, and 26, these are all going to be supporting verses for the genuineness of Jesus' sacrifice. So the next three points actually bolster this first point. It was a genuine sacrifice. Secondly, it was a personal sacrifice. Verse 24 for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God, little prepositional phrase at the end, for us. For us. The first part of that verse is just reinforcing the idea that it is a, a, that, that what we do now, or what they did on earth, was symbolic and, and was just a model. He didn't enter a handmade, man-made uh, building room and, and, and put bl- His blood on something that man-made. He entered into God's throne room, into heaven itself, that He might, right now, as we speak, as you and I sit here, appear before the Lord in the presence of God for us. Jesus died for us personally. Jesus died for you, personally. Now, we, we don't know what Jesus knew on the cross. We don't know exactly what was going through his mind. Uh, we do know what he said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We, we know he was in agony. He, we know he felt separation from God. However, that works in a Trinitarian format where the two or the three... Rather, but in this case, God the Father, God the Son can never be separated. Jesus on the cross felt separation from his Father. We don't know what he was thinking. We sing a lot of nice songs about it. We sing when he was on the cross, I was on his mind, and we sing uh, crucified, laid behind a stone, uh, he, uh, blah, 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 blah. He thought of me above all. We, we sing those songs. I don't know what Jesus was thinking on the cross. I don't know if he was flashing through every person that would uh, ever come to him for salvation. But I do know that God knew. God the Father knew you and me. God the Father knew for whom Jesus was dying. And he was dying for everyone. The atonement is universal in its potential, but it is only effective in those who will receive Him as Savior. The sacrifice was for everyone, for us, the writer says. But not every person will see its benefit through faith. Jesus died for you. Jesus now intercedes for you, for us, personally. So whatever he knew on the cross, God knew. It doesn't matter what Jesus knew on the cross. God knew that Jesus was dying for us. And now Jesus does know, being completely, how, whatever that means again, reunited with the Father at his right hand. He intercedes for us personally personally. He has gone to the Father, He is in His presence, and He eats, intercedes for us. He is our advocate. He is our lawyer. When the accuser, Satan, comes before God and says, Do you know what your child did? Jesus says, Yes, we know, and you have no accusation. There is no condemnation now for those who are in Me. That's how He would say it. You know, we say in Christ Jesus, He would say, In Me. And then he defends us before the throne. He denies the accuser and turns to his father. Turns to his father, because he's at the right hand of the father. He turns to his father and says, the accusation is hollow and empty and pointless because he is mine. He is your child. He is a saved brother in me. Therefore, the accuser has no standing here. Before the throne, before God, He intercedes for us. And He does that for you and for me constantly. Some of us more than others. Some of us need a little more interceding, a little more intercession than others. Nevertheless, we all need the intercession. And Jesus is there before the throne right now interceding for us because His was a personal, for me, for you, sacrifice. Thirdly, it was a sufficient sacrifice. Verse 25, he did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. It was sufficient. His was a single sacrifice, not a yearly one. We talked about that. At some length uh, last week, a single sacrifice, not a yearly one. He does not have to go back and do it over and over again because his sacrifice was sufficient. But in what do we mean by sufficient? It means it was sufficient for our quality of sin. What's the worst sin you've committed? What's the worst sin you can imagine someone else has committed? What's the worst sin you can think of that someone has committed, those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. There is no sin that you have committed that he cannot forgive, that he will not forgive. But Michael, there's a passage that says about the unpardonable sin. I know. But if you're worried about, if you've committed it, you probably haven't, so let's just go with every sin you've committed, you can be forgiven for. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the, the quality of your sin, how bad or how little, right? It doesn't even matter how little. Any sin condemns you to hell. Therefore, the least sin that you think you would commit doesn't matter. It does not matter the quality. Christ can forgive you. It, does, it, is, it was sufficient, the sacrifice was sufficient for our quantity of sin, It doesn't matter today if you've never accepted Christ. It doesn't matter the depths of your depravity, nor does it matter the frequency of your depravity. It does not matter how many times you have sinned, but you you just don't know how many times. You just don't know how bad. You're right, I don't, but God does, and Jesus does, and I'm gonna borrow the song anyway, even though it's a bit questionable in in its uh, accuracy when he was on the cross, it was every one of your sins that was on his mind. There wasn't a list of sins that Jesus was going, or God was going, okay, he's been on the cross this long, that's this much blood, he's almost dead, all right, these, that's these, that's these, but mm-mm, not these. There's no list like that. And, and then, with, without the, quantity, uh, the quality, he, there's no quantity issue. Okay, if you do it this many times, you're, you're good, but it's that, that, that next, you, sorry, you're, you're done. That's not how forgiveness, that is not how the sacrifice works. And it was sufficient for our repetition of sin. Michael, isn't that just like the one right before it? No. Because this particularly, I'm talking about, with this I'm particularly talking about your sins after salvation. It does not matter how you struggle with sin and how you repeat it. At least not when it comes to the uh, ability of the blood of Jesus to wash you clean from it. Yes, we are to strive for holiness. Yes, we are to be Uh, sanctified, daily purified, putting aside those snares that so easily entangle us. We are to work against our sin, buffet our bodies, Paul says, don't do the things I want to do, so on and so forth. We have an active responsibility to uh, mortify sin in our lives, to kill sin in our lives. But the fact remains that there ain't one of us that's perfect So that means every one of us will continue to sin and the blood of Jesus covers that forever. Jesus died for you before you ever sinned because you weren't even born yet. So if he died for you before you were born and all the sins up to your salvation, then he died for all the sins after your salvation as well because he died 2,000 years ago and you got more sinning to do, at least more sinning that you're going to do. And that sufficient sacrifice then leads to the next point, number four. It is a permanent sacrifice. Verse 26. Otherwise, if it it had not been sufficient, otherwise he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of Himself. It was a permanent sacrifice. Not only was it sufficient in that it could cover all of our sins, it is permanent in that it works forever. His is the one bank account. Except it's sin and not taxes. It's the one bank account that we need. It's the one transaction that wiped it all out. So instead, really, of, a, of an unlimited bank account that our taxes pull from every year it would be more like a transaction once and they never can talk about your taxes again your your taxes are forever paid doesn't matter how much they owe they're paid so there's no more need for them to draw on the account the the account has been paid in full they don't know how much I'm gonna owe that sounds real familiar right with our IRS anyway we we don't know how much we owe till we file and then they tell us we're wrong we don't know how much we'll owe in sin tax, and I'm talking about your cigarettes, your your sin, the way you are, we are, uh, what the way we owe for our sinfulness. I don't know how much I'm going to do later. Yes, but God does, God did, and the sacrifice was sufficient to cover that. And when it happened, that one time, that one transaction, the results are permanent. Just think about, if you can, the the purity and the omnipotence of God-made flesh. Michael, how can it wipe out all of my sin forever and ever or however long I live? Because of the one being sacrificed. This, This... second person of the Trinity, somehow becoming man, not putting on just a skin suit over his his God soul, something beyond that, something that we can't explain any more than we can explain the Trinity, but something he did with all the purity of God, with all the holiness of God with all the sinlessness of God on the cross, but also with all the omnipotence of God, all the power of God, all of the ability of God to know the future, provided at that moment God allowed him to see such things with Jesus having set aside the free use of his divine divine attributes for a, a limited period of time while on earth. If God allows him to see that, he sees all these things, He knows them, he can name them, he can name you, certainly God can, and when he did it on the cross, and when he said, it is finished, in the flash of a moment in our time frame, but in the scope of all eternity with God stepping back, saying there is no time, there is no flash of a moment, boom! Every sin is forgiven. I, it is finished. It is done. Can you see that kind of power on the cross? I can't. I'd like to try. As I said earlier, all of your sins were future sins. And the holiness of the Son, the perfection of the Son, the power of the Son, crucified, dying, breathing his last breath and bleeding out, finishing the work of redemption. This, praise God, is why our salvation does not need to be redone when we sin. One of our core beliefs as Baptists, as Southern Baptists especially, but as Baptists, is the perseverance of the saints, the preservation of the saints. When we come to Christ, when we trust Him as our Savior and we truly repent of our sins and we give our lives to Him, He never lets us go. For all of our sinfulness, let's imagine for a moment, in another bad analogy, that you catch a baby porcupine. I saw some pictures of them a few days ago. They're incredibly cute. I didn't read about it. I don't think their hair is soft. Poor mama. And, and you catch that baby porcupine, and, and, and you're holding your hand, everything's fine and dandy, and it's just walking there, but, but, but then it, something scares it, and you're, you're standing, you know, it's over concrete, and you know if that porcupine jumps, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad, it's going to kill it. and So you know that the only way to save that baby porcupine is to hold it. Got to grip it. Fill in your hand with quills. The pain that comes from that, the torture of it, oh my goodness, it hurts just thinking about it. You're the baby porcupine. Your sin is the desire to jump out. The hand is Jesus, and the pain is the sin that he carried for us to save us from certain destruction. Like I said, all all analogies break down, so maybe that's not the best one, but he holds us. So we don't have to be saved again. When we sin, Jesus' blood, the sacrifice he made, is sufficient, and it is permanent. The sacrifice was permanent So, tomorrow, when you sin and you think, there's just no way I've been struggling with this too long, there is no way God still loves me, there is no way that my salvation is still intact, He is holding you, taking the pain of your sin, standing at the right hand of the Father, saying, He's my baby porcupine. I've got him, never left my hand, and will not. It was a permanent sacrifice, and it was a sufficient sacrifice because, number five, it was a substitutionary sacrifice. It's going to be in this point that you get your seminary phrase for the day. Verses 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, dot, dot, dot. We're going to stop right there. It is a substitutionary sacrifice. The writer makes clear for us to understand, you're going to die. I've told you that a bunch of times. The, the two things when I retire from here in 25 years, the two things you will remember that I said, hope is what? Confident expectation. And number two is, you're going to die. If you get those two things, you're, you're, you're down the road to salvation and you're doing pretty good in discipleship as well. You will die once, one time, only one time. And, and that's what he's saying here. It's just like it was only, uh, it's only demanded, required, that, that humans die once. Jesus only had to die once. When you die that one time, you will face judgment. And, and, and there will be an immediate Judgment you will either be in the presence of the Lord or separate from him And down the road as as the end of time works its way out. However, it may do that There will be another time of judgment where there will be the final judgment and you will be separated from God for the rest of ever And those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ will go and live in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth but you've got the one shot. However long you have lived so far, that's your shot. We don't know how much longer you have, so we don't know how many more shots you have at salvation. So your relationship with Jesus must be solved now, not later. Your sin problem has to be taken care of now, not later. If we're going to stick with the baby porcupine analogy you haven't been caught yet if you've not trusted Jesus you're still running around and you can get squished and eaten by predators or whatever you're you're out there you're on your own you're not in his hand you die once and then the judgment there's no purgatory there's no opportunity to get out once you're there it doesn't work that way you can search through scripture and you find no purgatory you die once Jesus, and this is what the author is saying, by analogy, you have to die once, but Jesus has already died once for you. And here is your seminary phrase of the day, penal substitutionary atonement. We break down those three words. Penal means punishment. We have a penal code uh, that tells us what happens when you break the law. If, If you have ever been to an LSU football game, and I don't know if I've said this before, Uh, I think maybe I have, Uh, been to an LSU football game at at home, and you listen to the the stadium announcer, Dan Borne. Got a great announcer voice, it's perfect. He will say, penalty, which is correct, and he will also say, Tigers penalized. He doesn't say penalized, we say penalized. He says penalized. Well, same idea, right? Penal code, it's, it's uh, um, judgment. It's uh, punishment. That's the word I couldn't come up with. It's punishment. When the tigers are penalized however many yards, it's punishment for doing something wrong. So the, this penal idea, this penal substitutionary, this is punishment. It is what we deserve. We will die because of our sins. We will be separated from God because of our sins but when Jesus sacrificed when he made a substitutionary sacrifice he was taking our punishment our penalty Jesus was penalized however many yards or well death so it's it has this idea of punishment we deserve it but he is a substitute for us he died in your place the cross was yours. That was your punishment. You should have been penalized, not him. But because he substituted himself, he now takes your punishment. So it's penal substitutionary. Atonement. Atonement. If you want help in remembering what that word means, at-one-ment. A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T. At-one. Reconciling you and God, bringing you and God together at one point, at one place, uniting you and the Father, at one meant, atonement. Jesus died as your substitute to take your punishment and make you one with God. See, we don't receive justice for our sins. We receive mercy for our sins. Jesus received our justice. Can you imagine? We're playing Alabama at home. By we, I mean LSU. We're playing Alabama at home. There's a a pass interference call where, you know, 10, 12 yards from the the goal line, pass interference, uh, we've got to move back 15 yards. Nick Saban comes out, because he's the kind of guy that would do this. Nick Saban comes out and talks to the officials, "Uh -uh, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, don't don't move LSU back 15 yards. Let's give them the touchdown. We'll take the punishment for their sin. I know, it's not going to happen. But but that would be a, a, a microcosm of what Jesus did. The the devil said the foul, flag, they go to hell. They're coming with me. They're mine now. And Jesus says, No, no, no. He comes out in the field and says, I'll take the penalty. I'll take death. I'll take suffering and judgment. They then get the touchdown. A substitutionary sacrifice a genuine personal sufficient permanent substitutionary sacrifice and last it is a saving sacrifice the last half of verse 28 he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him Jesus is coming back Jesus is going to return Today, tomorrow, 10,000 years, who knows. But when he comes back, it won't be to sacrifice anymore, but to save. And, and, and while we as believers, 2,000 years later, Western American folks, we understand that he died once and then he's going to come back and get us later. We need to put ourselves in the mindset of those to whom the author was writing or preaching this sermon. When the priest would come out of the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, remember I told you they'd wear bells along the bottom of their garment so people could hear if he was still moving. They would often wear a rope in case uh, he died or, or sinned while he was in there so they could pull him out without having to go in and when he was in there everybody waited nervously is he going to make it is the atonement going to be made for us and when they came out when he would come out there would be cheering and celebration as a matter of fact in one of the apocryphal books of the old testament i believe it's in sirach there is a uh, an entire section of uh, a passage of how they would celebrate when the high priest would come out of the Holy of Holies. Atonement had been achieved. Our sins have been forgiven. He was righteous. He was good enough to go in and advocate for us before the mercy seat of God. And for a whole nother year, we're taken care of as far as our sins are concerned. For a whole year until he has to go back in the next year. With bells on, rope around his waist, the people waiting. And he comes out and they celebrate again. Until the next year. And on and on it goes. When Jesus comes back, when he comes out of the Holy of Holies that he is now in, oh, there is going to be a celebration. All right. The celebration, though, will be to call us his family, his believers' home. There will be a celebration, but he will not come out, spend a little time with us, and say, All right, I got to go make another sacrifice. Let's see if it works this time, too. No, it is sufficient, it is permanent, and it is saving. When he comes back this time, salvation will be in his hand. The keys to heaven, our home, he will provide for us and say, this is what I have for my people. Enter into your eternal rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. We will hear from our Lord. All of that celebration will come with him when he returns, but so will judgment. The return of Jesus will not be a celebration for everyone. It is a saving sacrifice. It is a genuine, personal, sufficient, substitutionary, permanent sacrifice. It is a saving sacrifice. But it is also a sacrifice that must be received by us. We don't need the blood of lambs and goats, cows, anything else. We don't need any other sacrifice. We don't need someone going to the altar for us. But we desperately need this one sacrifice Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to experience that sacrifice. That sacrifice was for you. You can know salvation through Jesus Christ if you admit that you're a sinner and repent of those sins. Turn from those sins. You've got to admit what you were before you can turn from what you are. That's who I am. I know it. And understand that you deserve punishment for those sins. You deserve justice for your sins. And believe that Jesus, who died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, now sits at the right hand of the Father, denying the accuser, defending us to God, saying, He is mine. If you believe that that salvation is true... If you believe that Jesus is who He says He is and you choose to make Jesus your Savior, to follow Him, to be His Son, respond to the Holy Spirit's calling, not do enough stuff because the only thing you're bringing to salvation is the sin that made you need it. That's all you can bring to to the table in this. You can't bring enough good works. You can't bring enough faith. All you can come is to do all you can do is come and say Jesus I believe you got that much faith or you got that much faith it's not about your faith it's about where you're placing it and Jesus our one sacrifice is where you need to place your faith believer our one sacrifice what we need to look at and marvel that he saved a wretch like me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son whom you sent to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you for the sacrifice that is all that we have talked about and and so much more that that we can't put into words. But Lord, you provided your Son as that sacrifice, perfect, in every way, sacrifice. God, I pray that we as believers will never lose the awe as we stand at the foot of the cross, as we stand at the open open tomb, and as we approach the throne of grace boldly. Receiving grace and mercy from our Father in heaven. May we know Jesus more, the one we worship. And Lord, may someone today know Jesus for the first time. They may have known about him for a long time. Maybe there's somebody just randomly came across this message online somewhere who knows how long down the road. I'm thinking of you. It may be 25 years from now if the internet's still a thing. But you come across this message and you hear about Jesus for the first time and you want the promise of salvation. You can have it. Lord, I pray that you would work on any heart that hears this message and that they would know salvation today. God, work on us as we come to this time of reflection to contemplate you, to contemplate your Son, to think on the cross, and to praise the name of the one who saves us, the one in whose name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you have a decision to make this morning, this is a time of reflection and a time of decision. If you'd like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and you'd like a little more information about that, how that can happen, Tom will be standing at the back, uh, and he would love to talk to you about that. If you'd like to join our church and you want to make that public, we, can ha- we need to have our uh, new members class, but you might want to just say to Tom, hey, I want to go ahead and take that step and join. We'd love to have you come and do that. Maybe you have other decisions to make. You need to be baptized, recommit, l- return to God, uh, have a, lead a life of holiness. How many of you are being called to the ministry, to missions? Maybe it's missions right here, and you're sitting there thinking, I am too old for that. No, you're not. Moses was uh, like 100 million years old or something, or 80, but whatever. He was still up there in years when he was called. What's God calling you to do today? Maybe he's just calling you to stand in awe of the cross. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's let him work on our hearts as he does business with us today.